Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at ESG, Environmental Social Governance. It's a very popular lens for investors to look through right now when they make their investment decisions, but is it as it seems? Plenty of great quality information to take out of the show this week. Make sure you take plenty of notes, but as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Lorenzo. Good to be here, Mr. B. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this topic because I know it's a controversial one at that. I know it's one of your favorites. We're going to be talking about ESG and its impact on financial performance for investors. Big topic. Certainly is. And I'd say it's probably one that's going to have some level of controversy uh, that surrounds it. Uh, ESG, of course, is one of the current themes that are widely touted in the media and in the investment universe. And for those not familiar with it, ESG is environmental or social or governments uh, governance filters that companies use in order to conduct their affairs. The idea being uh, that companies need to be more aware of the environment, which I think everyone on the planet would agree with, um, conduct themselves in a way which uh, is, is, is better for the greater good of mankind from a social perspective. And I guess governance in the way that the company's decision-making uh, occurs uh, includes things like uh, a more diverse or inclusive workforce, for example, or a more sympathetic way on dealing with minorities and so on. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a far-reaching uh, spectrum. You know, companies through their government's policy doing the right thing. It kind of sounds quite wide, but when you look at ESG companies, they're actually rated on a scale, and yeah. that's by sector and also as a global rating. The challenge is, is that the ratings agency that gives out these scores is not even regulated. Yeah. Look, ESG on the surface sounds great, and I think most things on the surface sound like a great idea, and, and if as we'll discuss in this, if there's substance behind it, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and if there are deficiencies behind it, then maybe that sort of title of being a, a more ESG compliant type business, I suppose that's used the term could be construed as being a little bit misleading. If we look at an example of that, just to look at the ratings on some of these. Yeah. So oil companies can actually rank higher than yeah. electric vehicle company, companies in yeah. the example of Shell and Tesla. That's right. I mean, if, if you think about you know Tesla and its mission, which I think, you know, according to one of the statements I read, 8.1 billion tonnes of carbon emission avoided uh, through electric vehicles and, and their use, uh, one would assume, on the, on the basis of no petrol or diesel being used to fuel them. Whether that takes into account the manufacturing process, of course, for lithium and, and the extruded aluminium that's used in manufacture is another matter, but we'll, we'll park that to the side for a minute. And yeah, you've got you know, Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, to give it its formal name, you know, one of the world's largest oil companies actually carries a higher ESG score than Tesla. And Tesla's ranked medium, so it's not high or low, it's mm. about middle of the road. And yep. Shell ranks higher than that. That doesn't make any sense. It, it really doesn't, does it? And I think, you know, it comes down to the perception. So, for example, you know, in my neck of the woods down at Byron, you know, every second car is a Tesla and people are making their statement that they're doing their bit for the environment by by driving one of those vehicles, I suppose. And, and yeah, and you look at the reality of how those scores are concerned. You've just got a pure, simple oil company outrating it, which, which is extraordinary. And then, I guess, really provides a, a questionable sort of overhang as to, okay, well, from a logical point of view, it just seems to make no sense. So how valid is an ESG rating when you're using it as one of the lenses perhaps that you use as an investor, which is you know a very, very popular way of approaching markets right now. So if you're an investor, AB, and let's assume that your goal is to make money, 
as, as any investor would argue. If we look at study from Harvard Business Review, mm. so a very reputable source, uh, on average, ESG funds charge about 40% more for their investors. They certainly do, yeah. And have shown no proof that they actually provide any beneficial outperformance to a normal investment. Yeah, both of those things are true. And I think to step back for, for, for a moment, our goal and our objective, and I guess you know our, our compliance statement as an organisation in financial services and under the Corporations Act in Australia, is to always act in our clients' best interest uh, from a fiduciary point of view, from a money perspective. And in doing so, we provide a range of recommendations for, and we teach our clients a broad-based approach to, to look at their world of investing. So we don't, I've had this asked a lot, do you use an ESG screen? And no, we don't. We'll put opportunities your way. And then it comes down to your own personal perspective of the world as to whether you would take uh, an investment in, so, you know, if you take something like Monsanto, what well, doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, Roundup Manufacturer, is that something that ticks a box from a, an ESG perspective? Probably not. Um, you know, James Hardy with the asbestosis claims, probably not. And so you could sift those out based on your own personal values, I suppose. But our job is to is to put those trades in front of our clients so that they can then make their own decisions. So yeah, you're right. Turning to the the, the Harvard study that was uh, that was in the Harvard Business Review. And again, you know, we, we, we quote the source because you know you'd argue that you know being a Harvard Business Business Review, it's a, you know pretty reasonably uh, robust source of information. Their research does exactly show that 40% more in fees for investors than in an ESG fund. So you can understand from a from a commercial perspective, talking about you know business philosophy, fiduciary duty, if you've got a product that you can charge 40% more for, charge 40% more for, you're probably going to push it pretty hard. Uh, which is sense, exactly yeah. the, the message that we see in the in the investment industry. Look, these are ESG compliant funds, it's a buzzword, people are excited, it's current, and and by the way, we get to charge you on average about 40% more for doing that. Quite a nice, neat model for business. Uh, and you could justify those fees, I suppose, if there was a a study or supported information that showed not maybe sometime down the track, but actually now or even over the last five years or 10 years, because ESG is is certainly far from new. During you know, the start of my investing career, the first big firm I worked for, we, we ran, it's called Evergreen, uh, and it was a, an ESG portfolio way back in the early 90s. That long ago? Yeah, so this isn't something that's, that's brand new. It's, it, it's, it's something that's been around for a while, yet there isn't a, a formal study that shows an outperformance of ESG-style investing. And so you might be buying now for the promise of what could be coming over the hill, maybe sometime down the line, but you know, it's not stacked up from an investment perspective, it's certainly at least not now. And, and that's, I think, something that's really important when people are making their decisions to place their money. And as a subset of that, if you're someone that invests in an ESG fund, well, you're probably investing in companies which are already listed. Uh, you're not investing in new things to change the environment. And there's very little difference being a shareholder of a company is going to make to the running of that business. I think the latest Qantas AGM would be a very good example of that, where you know a large proportion of shareholders were jumping up and down about executive remuneration and the performance of the board, yet nothing's been done. So you, you can make a bit of noise, but it's almost a, a meaningless exercise. So you know, in that regard, if you if you want to have more of an impact on the environment, which all of us do in a positive way, investing maybe instead of in investment funds that are on listed securities in the market that are invested in based on an ESG rating that's by an unregulated regulator that puts an oil company above an EV manufacturer, you'd be better maybe funneling your dollars into 
venture capital or, or, or funding for new businesses that are developing technology, which we've actually done. We've, we've invested quite heavily in private equity for um, wind and solar turbines to use on mine sites where you can wheel out the piece of equipment and it works on solar and wind. In case you've got no sun, you've got wind. If you've got no wind, you've got solar to help power uh, on site, which is very, very effective. But that's a private equity uh, investment. It's not something that's listed in a, in a major blue chip company. So some of the risks you talk about, AB, just the trend I, I hear coming up is, is is a term that we call greenwashing. Mm. So we look at hedge, hedge fund manager, Sir Chris Hone made mention that greenwashing mm. is a real risk with ESG funds. Yeah. A lot of them are talking and not a lot of them are doing. Can you explain to us what greenwashing is and what impact it has on investors? Look, so Chris Hone is one of those people that you've got to listen to. He's embryonic in the, in the hedge fund industry, children's uh, investment fund, I think, was his, I think so, yeah. his major fund in the UK. And, and the notion of greenwashing is where, on the surface, it looks like you're doing all the good things uh, to, to tick a box in order to qualify for a, a better ESG rating. Um, but really, there's not much more going on beyond that. Um, and, and it's, I guess, a way of attracting money in the door. Uh, from an investor, which is what you want if you're able to charge 40% less. I appreciate this probably sounds quite cynical. Uh, it's the reality the of the situation that's there and the truth sets people free. You know, we can all be of a view that, oh, my opinion is this, but opinions don't outweigh facts. And, and these are facts that we're talking to. So we could look at some examples, um, I guess, of greenwashing. And there are quite a number of, com- uh, of, of managed funds have had their ESG rating removed because they, they, they're not really investing in, in, in green businesses. You know, to the same extent where Tesla is not part of the S&P 500's um, ESG compliant companies. I think there were 1,200 funds that have recently lost their ESG mm. tag. Yeah, it's a big scale. Exactly right. It's it, 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 it big, but it also shows the, the magnitude of ESG being the logo of choice. You know, it's like you used to have Australia Made or uh, or whatever it may be, and ESG is probably the next tag to put on things from a marketing <laughs> perspective because it does draw people in, and they go, "Well, that's a good thing," because as human beings, we're all programmed to want to do more positive things for the environment or the uh, you know the the, the environment that we're in. So, yeah, we can look at a couple of case studies of this and Woolworths is probably a really good one. We did a podcast last year with my really good buddy, Shoes. He runs um, for, for an ESG fund for Russell, big fund, and, and is a great fund manager, a great personal friend, a lot of, lot of time under the bridge, both of us, and talked in that interview about Woolworths and its disposal of Endeavour. So Endeavour um, effectively is the alcohol and gaming business that was part of Woolworths at one point in time. And obviously, alcohol and pokies aren't particularly high up on an ESG score. They're Not probably at all. the reverse <laughs> of that. And so Woolworths spun it off. And, and, and the quote, uh, and Brad Banducci's the Woolworths CEO. You know, he's a pretty solid CEO um, over time. Did a good job of stewarding them through COVID, that's for sure. And, and the time was, well, we just want to focus on our core business and it's a good time to dispose of that asset. Okay, we'll take that on face value. But it also meant that Woolworths was scored as an ESG compliant business after it disposed of Endeavour. So you could argue that there was another side to that decision making too. So all of a sudden you've spun out the bad stuff and now you're the clean ESG compliant company. Let's not lose sight of the fact that Woolworths also sells in excess of 2 billion cigarettes a year to Australians and you know, in some way, shape or form um, is therefore on the hook selling a product that's responsible for the death of 1,600 people a year. And yet it can hold an ESG tick 
because it's got rid of grog and gambling, but it's still okay to sell tobacco. Now, to me, that doesn't really make sense. If you're going to be in the white light and uh, a business of virtue, then that's probably also something else that you should step into and stop selling. But of course, there may be other reasons for that not being uh, offloaded or, or, or a more firm stance on that being taken. That's an example. And and I think you know companies have, uh, have got to be, I guess, very, very careful in how they bleed corporate policy and corporate governance, particularly in, into the realm of politics. And we'll talk about that in a moment with, with using Woolworths as another example. On the other side of the coin, from, from a greenwashing perspective, if we take a business like Fortescue, which is in the iron ore, let's face it, it's in the iron ore mining space, which is not that high a scorer on, on many a metric, uh, it's a very heavy user of diesel equipment. It then ships its product to China uh, to, to, to be uh, heated up along with coal to convert into steel. Yet Fortescue, by virtue of the, I guess, the vision uh, of its chairman, Andrew Forrest, and, 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 and what an incredible vision it is, have gone headlong into looking at things like green ammonia uh, to clean power their equipment and plant and, and ships that they use within their business. So you've got a business there which knows it's in, let's just say, a dirty space, but is actually making very positive inroads, not just through an idea and vision, but following through with action to make it a reality to be as low an impact business as it can be. And I think that's quite different from greenwashing where you do a little bit on the surface and say, look, we've cleaned our act up. We're pretty good over here. Come invest with us versus actually doing stuff. Talk's cheap. Money buys the whiskey. Uh, and again, if we, if we sort of circle back to companies in, 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 their, in their governance style um, where they can bleed into politics, you know, Woolworths is a really good example of that. Um, more recently, if we take you know, the Australia Day um, controversy, if we can call it that, where it's made the conscious decision that it's not going to stock Australia Day merchandise because, it, as it describes, you know, Australia Day is you know, it's a controversial holiday. It's a national holiday for our country. Um, you could align that to some of the political uh, events that we saw last year uh, and the referendum in particular, where 60% of voters came out in, in a particular way. Um, you know, Qantas, another example of this where, you know, was a very active and vocal, as many companies were, supporters of the Yes campaign. That's in the rearview mirror now. We've had a referendum. Uh, democracy has, has come out with its vote and 60% and, and, and of Australians voted in a particular way, which was no. What's Qantas's role or Woolworth's role in trying to undermine that? And I think that's an overreach from a governance perspective and I think perhaps is, is more... Uh, a, a currency thing of, of being in the headline, maybe not for the right reason. So I think companies have got to be very careful where corporate governance then bleeds into politics and getting actively involved in reflecting their view in politics. On the other side of the coin, absolute classic last week from Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, who, who, who to say is an industry veteran is an understatement and has been through you know incredible market cycles. Historically uh, has been uh, a supporter of the Democrats, um, both personally and also as a business, yet last week um, came out and, and it, with some reasonable support for the, the MAGA and, and Trump side of the argument. So there's someone that's presenting a very well-rounded 
case of not just being in a political lane, but trying to look at the world in a more objective way where you can see both sides of the coin. Excellent example of great stewardship from Jamie Dimon. That's always been the success that he has for as long as he has. Indeed. So companies have got to be very careful overstepping that mark. So, you know, it's a, it's a very, very interesting space and very controversial because rather like many things in society right now, you're either one thing or the other. And if you're on the other side, you're hated. Uh, and if you're on the other side, you're mad. And there's that sort of yin and yang uh, that we seem to be very, very pushed apart in terms of our views. And in, in reality, we're all trying to do the same thing, have a better environment to live in. Whether ESG actually creates that or whether it's just simply, let's call it what it is, perhaps certainly through my lens, a bit of a marketing ruse to put a tick on something that makes it compliant to invest in without that tick being authorised by anyone that's regulated or with any level of consistency. And enables you as the investor, and I don't know how this sits from an ESG point of view, but enables you to be charged about 40% more for the service, which doesn't actually outperform. Strange mix of events in there, hey? Indeed. You'd hate to pay more for something that does worse. If, if there's absolute value add. And of course. And that value add, I'm not just going to be a capitalist and say in regards to outperformance, but if there's a value add in terms of positive impact on the environment. Great then that's a tick and no one's going to stand in the way for that. But if it's not really got any direct impact on the environment, which having an oil company rated above an EV business is a, is a strange one, or a company that sells billions of cigarettes seen in a better light because it doesn't sell alcohol, is a very, very strange lens to look through. So final question for you, maybe before we wrap up, what's your practical tip or what are your practical tips out there for investors who are trying to navigate this space? I think... I'm sure there are a few things that we've mentioned in our time together today, Mitch. And I mean, the intention when we sit down and do these podcast interviews is not to create controversy. They're just trying to present uh, a view of the world and, and, and you can form your own on the back of that. I would add that, you know, opinion and facts, you know, facts typically outweigh opinion, in my, at least in my mind. Um, tips I would give to an investor would be, number one, be very careful about what you're paying for just because it says it's ESG, is it really? Uh, and, and I think you know, we've given a couple of examples of companies where you can, you can sort of look and go, yeah, mm, I'm not really sure how that one's across the line uh, in, in terms of doing that. And again, you know, without you know, smashing Woolworths too hard, if you look at the way that from a, from a, a society point of view or, or social point of view, you look at the way that the price gouging is happening at the moment. You know, you've got a farmer that's earning $1.90 a kilo for, for, for producing zucchini and they're being sold to five ninety in the shop. Okay, you've got to make some money, but that seems to be a bit it's of a, a price gouge. Yeah. Same with milk. And we went through that a couple of years ago with the, the, the dairy farmers getting cents in the dollar and, and yet milk being, you know, five fifty six bucks for a couple of litres. Um, yeah, when you, when you have a view on, on, on social, it's got to be a win win for everybody. And 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 I think you know that that sort of example of a price gouge, if you can call it that, in a time when your average Australian is really struggling financially, is also something that needs to be called into question. Uh, whether that's a governance or a, a, a social issue from an ESG perspective, that's something for that company to look at. So tips for investors: number one, um, be aware that. Yes, you might feel that your conscience is purged by investing in something uh, that's ESG related, but how ESG is it actually really? And more importantly, those businesses that you're investing in, are they actually making an impact at the, no pun intended, coalface of the problem? And Fortescue is actually a really good example as a surprise, which is a mining company, which is in the dark hat camp, but is actually making substantial 
inroads in making sure that it's better than what it is. And I think as human beings, all of us can aspire to be a better version of ourselves. That's a good goal to have. So number one, is ESG actually making any difference in the investment frame that you're looking at? Number two, be aware that you're signing up on average, and this isn't the case for all funds, but chances are you're going to be paying more in terms of fees for that particular investment mandate. And number three is, are you getting value for money with that additional fee that you're paying, which is ideally in the investment space, not just a better outcome at the coalface from an environmental point of view, but better performance for you as the investor, because you, of course, are putting up the money, you're the other stakeholder in here. So there are three things. Now, uh, on the other side of the coin is using your own lenses. Uh, and I guess you know all of us have a lens to look through. As an investor, your goal is to, I guess, optimize your return through, through the first lens through a secondary lens might be through not doing the wrong thing. And so you can apply your own screen based on your own values and conscience. So for example, you know, we, we've had in the past clients uh, whose religious beliefs stop them investing in things like banks or, or certainly gaming because they're not, in, they're, they're not allowed to invest for interest, to make money on interest. It's not part of their, their, their religious belief. So that's something that they can screen out themselves and it's a tick. If you've got companies that do business with certain um, geopolitical regimes around the world, you may choose not to invest in those companies based on your own beliefs. If you have certain sectors that you don't have a, a lot of time for, so you know, pesticide manufacturing, for example, and as someone that you know, owns and runs an organic farm, that's something that's actually quite up on my list. So my, 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 my lens for the environment, is, personally in business, can be very, very different. Our job as a business is to help our clients. So how we conduct ourselves personally is another matter. So for me personally, you know, I, I have quite an environmental bias on a lot of the things that I do, but I try and be objective as to whether that is a genuine environmental bias or whether it's just a virtue signaling box tick. So there, there's some lenses for people to look through to keep them on the straight and narrow. And I guess this comes down to being more informed as an, as an investor. And our goal here at Australian Investment Education is, is, is very clear to increase people's financial literacy and awareness of these things. So that when it comes to making decisions, what they think they're doing versus what they are doing and the impact that those decisions have aren't a surprise, it's what you expected. Very nice. Thank you very much for your time, AB. My pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating so we can help more people get to the show, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.